the choice we're making is between dollar bills so paper that we've printed that we made to mean something or really zeros and ones in a machine we're prioritizing those over human beings Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. We are proud members of the Harbinger Media Network, and you can check out other podcasts on that network, such as The Alberta Advantage, Off Court, and Habib T. Please. Uh, my name is Scott Schmidt. I am your co-host alongside my fellow co-host, Jeremy Appel. Jeremy, how are you? Hello. I'm doing great. Everything is awesome. Uh, how, how could you not feel great? Spring is in the air. We finally... <laughs> Um, we finally flattened the curve. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're all vaccinated. And do you remember uh, when somebody like you could remember when you would ask somebody how they're doing and they'd say great and you couldn't actually tell if they were being sarcastic or not? But now the only answer to how are you doing is fucking terrible. So any other answer is clearly sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh, says a lot about like the irony laden. Um, <laughs> culture we live in 100 100 percent. well as as we do on this show every uh, few episodes we have a just us and when we do have a just us we welcome good friend and uh resident expert dr roberta lexier to the show roberta how are you well i don't know <laughs> i mean how do you answer that question when you just set it up as anything i say is sarcasm no literally i don't know how to answer that question anymore because i'm personally fine but the world's fucking disaster so sorry for the swears first thing in the episode. <laughs> yeah, we're going to lose our G rating now. It's too <laughs> yeah. early for that shit. It is too early. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting time. Like uh, generally speaking, when we get together for these episodes, we kind of set up a certain topic about, you know, imagining a better future or deconstructing something about a current event and, and equating that to a broader picture. And, and we try to uh generally make it i think positive based and where can we go and i don't think anyone of any of us here today are fucking feeling that so uh it's really hard for us to do that at this point like um you're not hearing this episode for a couple of weeks after we're recording it but uh i think we can all safely say that cases are probably still going up at a rate that's not uh not good at all I'm guessing that right about now, the uh, variants are, the P1 from Brazil is probably exploding just as we speak. So I don't know. It's a tough time to be around. And uh, I don't know, how are you guys coping through all of this? Like, do you still have like that hope left of like what we can do to do be better coming out of this? Uh, no, but I did buy a guitar this week. Um, so my fingers really hurt. Same thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but by the time you're listening to this, don't you worry, listener. Um, my calluses will be bigger. 
and you'll probably be like killer like it's two weeks and you got nothing yeah, to do yeah exactly right like the life of an investigative journalist you know a couple hours in your robe in the morning and then uh guitar practice for the day yeah it's really nice guitar too i got anyways enough about my guitar <laughs> why it's about the most positive thing we have to fucking talk about these days yeah that's true um i'm having trouble with the a major chord just getting all my fingers in that one fret i don't know how to play guitar worth shit so and none of this means anything to me roberta can you play guitar <laughs> I cannot. I married someone who could. So yeah, I didn't have well, to worry I know. about yeah, Darcy that. just does he serenade you? Oh God, no. He'll like get three chords into a song and then start doing something else. <laughs> it's really frustrating. Um, but also I have no hope. So, you know, no guitar nor no hope. Um, I entered this pandemic hoping that we would see all the structural issues that have been exposed and we might do something about it. And in some places that seems to have been the strategy. Um, but we um, clearly live in the center of hell and uh, that is not the world we live in. And so my hope is fading very quickly and I wonder how soon this could be something that maybe you've talked about in your episode that airs this week that's coming out um, about when we're going to have an Alberta variant that we can start talking about because I think we're almost on that path so the hope is fading and I don't have a guitar so well, somebody give me something else we, to do if we create a variant Jesus Christ it's but not no. unlikely given our numbers, how they ah. compare to the rest of the world. It's brutal right now. I think by the time this episode is out, there will be an Alberta variant. Um... Speaking of variants, I talked to uh, Dr. Joe Vipond a little bit this morning on the DMs. He had posted, uh, I guess, like our screening capacity, our testing capacity is now challenged to the point that like they no longer can test for variants of concern in every case that they test. So they're only gonna test for variants in a specific number, healthcare workers, I could pull it up, um, but a few different things that is definitely like a small portion of the population. And, you know, he was like, as he's telling me just a little bit about how like that's gonna really affect how we are tracking this and that's not a good thing at all. But what's really a problem, and I didn't realize this, is that BC and Alberta are the only places in the world outside of Brazil that have the Brazil variant. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. So, like, this isn't, like, this, like, you know, we watch this, like, it's not something that's, like, ex weirdly not happening in the States or exposed like it is here. So, like, we're dealing with it on a, on with something that no one else is dealing with, and we're not going to start we're going to stop tracking it fully now. So well, and this is the problem is that we have just given up on every single possible thing that could actually help mitigate this, this disease or this virus. And we're just clearly giving up at this point because we've stopped contact tracing. We never really did it because we refused the federal app and then ours was shit. Um, we <laughs> stopped, we've stopped testing for variants because we can't do that. Um, we've stopped shutting down schools, although now we're shutting them down. I don't know. Like it's just so probably bonkers. all shut down now. If you're listening. Yeah, to I would like, guess I they're probably. I cannot <laughs> imagine people are still in school and if they are, fuck. Well, they, they like, the government announced that 
all kids are going back home to learn online in the hot spots. No, no though, hot not spots. The whole oh, in, yeah, yeah, but that's where most people live, right? Like Calgary. Uh, I'm in the forgotten corner, <laughs> forgetting, forgetting about us on your own fucking show. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's the, it wouldn't be the forgotten corner the, if I did. If you if you look at the the hot spots, it's really if you look at the places that aren't on the hotspot list is really what you need to look at because those are specifically targeted places where they are full of those dissenting UCP MLAs, and those places are the ones that are getting these like well you're you know and it's not just over three hundred and fifty per per 100,000 cases, right? You have to have a total of 250 cases. So a place like Cypress County, where MLA Drew Barnes resides, it has about 400 and some cases per 100,000 people. But because it has like 50,000 people total, its case total is well under 250. And those kids are going to continue to go to school. Meanwhile, of course, 50 some cases in a place like Cypress County is a lot of cases. Because as per previously mentioned, the population is quite low. So that's still a good chunk of cases. Right. This is just, I mean, it's so ridiculous. It seems to me, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to do a big historical survey to get a better sense of this. But generally, historically, when crises hit, even crappy leaders tend to step up and tend to take some leadership roles, you know, like when bombs hit or when um, towers fall or um you know when yeah. d- viruses hit you yeah, know even leaders. bush didn't suck a meat like he sucked well. in the well he was reading <laughs> that goat book in the in the kindergarten class or whatever but like he did like have you know well it took about example, two weeks but... for him to turn into a war criminal so maybe we won't use yeah we won't use yeah, him we as won't an example use him but, but those but those two weeks those two weeks were he they had were a, a beautiful two weeks but he yeah, had well, some no, leadership right, like he, I mean, fucking he said, speeches he said right. we're not war against Islam. He went to a mosque. Like, I mean, that that was good leadership in like isolation. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, in general, I mean, he might be a bad example <laughs> or not. Actually, he's not in that sense that for a moment, people do rise together and take some leadership and make hard choices. And the problem we're faced with in the 21st century in Canada, not just Alberta, but across the most of the country and federally, is that nobody's willing to do that, that nobody is going to step up and take the hard leadership role. Because as you just said, Scott, you know, the places that aren't considered hot spots are not considered hot spots for political reasons, not for actual health reasons, or because we're in a public health crisis, real legitimate scientific reasons. It's all political. And we're not going to survive if we play a political game around a virus. It doesn't work. It doesn't care about our politics. And in fact, when you have a place like Medicine Hat, where we've sent kids home to learn twice now with the rest of the province, Okay. And at those particular times, Medicine Hat's case total got to, you know, first wave, we, I don't think we've got above 30. And in December, I think we peaked at about 113. And then this particular wave, we're already at 184. And we're still learning in, in class learning. And what that does to the people here that are sort of anti-lockdown and anti-whatever, don't think any of this shit is 
works or worth it or whatever, and have built up these conspiracy mindsets over the course of 15 months. Those people then look back and it, it reinforces their, their opinions and their, their sort of misguided opinions of like, see, like this has been bullshit this whole time. We should have never sent kids home. We should have never locked down. All of these things were stupid. Well, that's, that's not the case. Like by doing those things when we did them, that's what kept Medicine Hat's case rate low. Like we just got lucky the whole time. And now we're seeing for the first time what it's like if you if you aren't lucky and you do get a couple of outbreaks and you do get some community spread and all of a sudden you can't keep up to the fact that the cases are going up and you don't know what's going on and then you know we're not joining the rest of the province in actual restrictions so what does that mean well if we're at 184 cases in medicine hat as we record this like i shudder to fucking think what the cases are when you're listening to this right now. And like, I'd love to live in a world where that could go down, but that's not how this virus works. That's not how any of this has happened. That's not what the data shows us. And so here we are once again, doing nothing like, like you were talking about leadership. Like it's not even all the way across the country. I mean, there are some people like there's bad leadership going on because our Western world ideals get in the way of what's necessary to beat a virus. Like that's the fucking well, problem here. Well, and that's what I was just going to say is that the heartbreaking part to me, the thing I think about every day in the shower and want to cry about, and I think about it all day, every day is how the choice we're making is between dollar bills so paper that we've printed that we made to mean something or really zeros and ones in a machine, we're prioritizing those over human beings, like actual humans with yeah. lives and families and creative possibilities and hopes and dreams and all of that. And we apparently couldn't care less about people. All we care about in this society is those dollar bills. And it's really, really killing me that we're letting thousands of people die because we have to make sure some people make some money. And it's just, it's really devastating. And I don't know how to figure this out. Well, and, and it's the, and the, the dog whistle terms that you hear them use, right? We're going to protect livelihoods. And this is about freedom. It has nothing to do with any of that shit. You're fucking way less free mired in a 15 month pandemic than you could have been if we would have wrapped this shit up in a couple of months. So don't even fucking start on freedom. Livelihoods, like all of this shit, that's just money. They're just talking about money. That's it. It's just the, the circulation of money is all that fucking matters at all. And, and the, the, the worst part about it is, and we've talked about this a million times, is that that is the easiest thing to deal with. Like, we fucking print money, man. Like, just fucking shut down, give people the resources they need to be shut down and be done with it. But they won't. They won't because, oh, well, you know, this and that and the other thing. No, it, it's a fucking... Freedom! Right. It's a lie. It's a lie. Freedom! It's a lie. It's money, a lie. It money, is a lie. Money is made up, you guys. Like, we fucking made it up. Yes, individually, without money, you're fucked. That's why it's ridiculous that we have these governments that are refusing to support you when they do 
alter your livelihood with a restriction. Yeah, it's your yeah, it becomes about livelihood if you're forced to close your business or you're forced to not go to your job and then no one helps you out. Yeah, you're going to fucking it's going to fuck you. But like this idea that like they've somehow made it so that you're just pissed off at the virus and you're just pissed off at this thing lingering and you're not and you're you're mad that restrictions exist. Ah, I fucking pissed. No, be pissed at the people that aren't supporting you through it. That's absolutely part. And I think it's the same thing of how we split generally, you know, society capitalism in particular needs people to be divided. Right. Um, for all sorts of different reasons, mostly because if the workers unite, we could really overthrow this whole fucking thing. Um, but part of that division in general terms is around race, around gender, around nationality, around um, you know working class backgrounds, other sorts of things. And right now, the direction of this is being pointed towards a virus. So they're trying to distract you from the system by making you hate something else. So in the past, or actually still in the present, but in general, it might be hate your neighbor, hate your um, person down the road, hate that person coming from down south who's stealing your job or whatever. But now it's hate the virus, hate the restrictions. They're the ones that are the problem. And so this is all that same deflection. It's the same distraction. And I'm sorry, but a virus is not going to function in any way that we want it to function. Like this is not going to work. We can't do it. Right. And so what what they're saying is that money is more important than human beings. And I cannot I'm, I'm going to repeat Jason Kenny's line from the whole week. I do not accept the premise of that. I cannot accept that money is more important than human beings. And I really want us to figure this shit out. And it's killing me. Like, how well, do we do like, this? This is you, you said it like we we act like we can control a virus that you have no control over. Your only control is to eliminate it. Then we we pretend that we have no control over this money situation and the economy. The one thing that we absolutely can control by feed, by providing the resources we need to get through this. Anyway, we're ram- I want to ask a couple of questions um, because we had a couple of listeners ask some questions. So I want to go through those. And I have some answers for this. Kim Porter, whose birthday it is today. So happy birthday, two weeks happy ago. Happy birthday, as you Kim. Listen to this. Happy belated. Yeah. Happy, belated. happy birthday, Kim, two weeks Tec- ago. <laughs> technically, we're on. We're right. We're, we don't even have to say belated because it is her birthday today. But nonetheless, um, she asked us a few questions and we're going to run through them because uh, they're all really good. And I have some very simple answers to these but i want to see what you guys have to say first so uh the first one is uh if you if one of you was premier right now what would you do to flatten the covid curve i would uh listen to public health experts and impose a strict lockdown and pay people to abide by it right i would close down the major sources of outbreaks which in the vast majority of cases have been you know warehouses factories um meat packing plants and um but again you can't like doug ford in ontario who is like yeah i'm not closing any of these places down but i am gonna send cops to COVID hotspots to enforce public health orders. Well, where are these COVID hotspots? What types of people live there? They're low income. A lot of them are immigrants or people of color. 
And um, again, um, you need to pay people to abide by your locked in, right? And um, that is what I would do. And there's a reason I'm not premier. There's also a reason I'm not premier <laughs> because I would actually probably go even farther in some sense that I think it's obvious what we need to do. It's been done around the world and it's worked. Um, what we need is harsh lockdowns for, it used to be a short amount of time. Now we need much longer because the stupid thing's gone on too long. Um, but in order to do that, we have to pay people to stay home. And that's really the only thing that will work. And so I would shut all non-essential businesses. I would implement strong contra contact tracing programs, um, full testing, especially in hot spots, and especially for people on the front lines. Um, and I would stop trying to think of vaccines as the solution to our problem um, and instead try and weed out the, the virus itself first. You guys pretty much covered it, but uh, I'll just maybe take it a step further. When we talk about what would we do to flatten the COVID curve? I think the number one thing here is that flattening the curve is a fucking bunk idea right off the bat. You can't flatten the curve. We need to eliminate it. So it's that's, so 2020. That's what we would curve. do Would we would dispose of this nonsense idea that you can flatten the curve of something that has to go away or it will continue to grow. And we would fucking eliminate this virus through a strict lockdown. And yes, we would pay everyone that is locked down to be locked down there would be no worries about your finances like you don't have to worry about that simple as that simple well, as that. i guess one thing i didn't say is that i think the other piece of that is an eviction ban that also needs to be put in place that it's not only about paying people to stay home but it's making sure people don't lose those homes in the meantime 100%. and so and not only do we just give people money but also make sure they can't can't lose their homes but i right. think you made such a perfect point that we can't flatten this curve it's a covid zero strategy or nothing and we need to stop talking in terms of the flattening we need to right. have a covid zero strategy for sure so you talk, and yes, we need to uh, have all of those things. But the other thing that we're not talking about here too, that I would make sure of is enforcement. And that's one thing that uh, like COVID is just another example of this fucking bullshit way that we try to like please everyone and everything or whatever. Like, oh, well, no, like the same way I would act with like corporations when I bump the corporate tax rate up to fucking like 15% in one day is if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Like, if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Same thing with COVID. If you don't fucking like the rule, get the fuck out and don't come back. And if well, you, I think, if you I break think... the fucking law during this time, I'm going to slap you with fucking fines that are going to fucking be problematic for you. I am going to make your life hell. If your business opens, I'm going to fuck you up. If your fucking church opens, I'm going to shut you down and I'm going to put you in fucking jail. And everyone from Tucker Carlson to fucking Kevin J. Johnston or whatever his fucking name is can kiss my ass. Don't forget Joe Rogan. There, I would stand there in front of the entire province and I would say those exact words. That's you. That's why I shouldn't be premier because a lot of people would be called dipshit. But the point is, is that this, oh, well, we have to cater. To, no, if you're putting lives at risk, I'm going to crush you. The end. 
but I, you know, I think the problem with being too heavy handed is that it disproportionately falls on lower income communities and people of color who have no choice but to violate uh, public health restrictions because they have jobs. And again, I mean, that's eliminated if we pay people to stay at home, but like still like I'm uneasy about using the heavy hand of the law to impose these uh, public health measures. What example are you talking about though, where like, I'm talking about fucking shutting down a church or a business here. So what are you, what's your example that you're giving that somehow I'm. Well, I just think to Ontario's plan to uh, send cops to enforce it, which was, you know, roundly um, criticized. And I think a lot of people sort of misunderstood and said, oh, like, look at these, uh, you know, these lefties, they want harsher uh, restrictions, but then when they're imposed, they... I don't um, feel like the forgotten corner needs to disclaim that when we talk about having a heavy hand on enforcing restrictions that we would be somehow similar to how Doug Ford is enforcing these. No, we would not send cops to fucking neighborhoods full of minorities and start arresting them. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making sure that these, these anti-mask rallies and these businesses that are defiant, like this J rocks fucking. Is that, is that still open? He calls himself a pub, but he doesn't have a liquor license i mean this guy should be in jail jail yeah like how how is he able to open to begin with like because he fucking opens in alberta man he's opened in alberta and he's opened in medicine hat the cops here aren't going to do shit unless ahs says so ahs is the slowest acting like fuck man we just had another update maybe now you're going to listen to this maybe it's all shut down but it isn't as of today and we just had a recent story saying like they're still just mulling over like what their plan is this is what i'm talking about the fucking the 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 rally that was in their parking lot on that on the last saturday that i drove to and stayed in my car and watched from afar for a little bit immediately AHS came out with a warning that someone from there had tested positive and blah, 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 blah. And we're still allowing this place to open and function. And we are, our authorities that are in charge of, of enforcing these laws are mulling over the idea of like, Oh, what should we do a week after a super spreader event? The fuck are we doing? Well, and I think there's a bigger question here in some ways about kind of public and social responsibility that's at the core of all of this, right? Which I think, you know, we raise, Jeremy raises a really important point about enforcement. I mean, we're talking about um, going back to campus in the fall and um, what are we going to do if students don't want to wear masks and the solution is to call security and my instant reaction is a a cringe of I don't want more security on campus that's going to lead to all sorts of problems and so I'm I'm conscious of that that concern that you're raising Jeremy but I also think what's happened is that we've created a, a context under neoliberalism in particular where we prioritize the individual to such an extent that we've allowed people to rise up and say we're not going to follow the rules 
with zero consequences to that decision. And what that does, not only does it um, help spur more of that, you know, it's it's uh, empowering the anti-maskers, it's giving them more force, it's giving them um, more freedom. But on the other side, what it also is doing is it's destroying the people who are following the rules and are trying to do the best that they can do. And how many people are getting pulled out of that because they just have, first of all, no choice because they have to go to work, they have to do their jobs, they have to pay their bills, but also because now they're seeing, well, what's the point of doing what they're doing? I've stayed home for 15 months now, and what's what's the point? I haven't hugged my best friend in 15 months, and why? Other people are spreading this shit around, and I'm never going to get out of this, and so I think people will start, yes, we all have uh, fatigue. We all have COVID fatigue. We all want out of this. But what happens when we say that we value this individual freedom or this um, ability to make choices that affect other people without any consequences is we're saying that you're not part of a society. We're not all in this together. We're not part of something that we need to share. And we're all just going to splinter off when the opposite needs to happen. We all need to come together into a community and give a shit about each other instead of doing this. You can do what you want and I'll do what I want and it won't matter because it matters. We're spreading viruses around by doing it. 100%. Now we're going to move on to our next part of her question because we we only have so much time left on the show today, but uh, it's a little bit, so we're going to switch off of COVID for a little bit because um, for those of our listeners who don't know Kim Porter, she is a advocate um, for harm reduction, um, mums against... What, Mom, stop the harm. Mom, stop the harm. I think that's the group that she's with. Anyway, she's a wonderful lady from Medicine Hat who's uh, has a real passion for um, dealing with addiction and and people struggling with drug use and uh, how we treat them. And she asks, um, where can we, what can we do? What would we do as premier to change the direction of the overdose crisis? Well, first thing I would do is fire uh, Marshall Smith into the sun. Into the sun. Yeah. Most people won't know who that is, but uh, he's, uh, is he the chief of staff for Luan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Luan's chief of staff. Um, it's a long story. I've, I've written uh, a couple pieces um, about him, but he is this like guru for this uh, private uh, abstinence only recovery model where the government just throws money at their friends who own um, private recovery clinics. And it came out uh, this past week. So I guess it would be a couple weeks ago when you're listening um, that at this uh, rehab facility that he worked at in BC, he was forcing patients to cold call and campaign for his favored leadership candidate for the BC Liberals who are conservatives, um, for those of you who aren't well acquainted with BC politics. Um, And yeah, and um, the government is giving, I think what, $25 million to set up five new clinics throughout the province. We don't know anything about them except that one of them will be in Red Deer and uh, you have to wonder who that money's going to go to and uh, if they're going to have 
uh, chain gangs, but for political campaigning. Well, and this is another a perfect example of how we prioritize money over people, because I think, you know, the way I would if I was premier and I was trying to deal with what is a tragic and horrific opioid crisis, um, the first step is to treat people who are addicted to drugs as human beings who have the right to survive and live and thrive and get the help that they require. And instead, we're treating them as dollar bills slash campaigners slash whatever the heck they are, but they're definitely not human beings. So from my perspective, first step, treat people as human beings and take a harm reduction approach that understands that drug addiction is a societal problem. It's not an individual problem or an individual failing um, and that we as a society need to step up and help people. And so, I mean, my response is really, I think the the response of getting safe supply, safe um, injection sites, harm reduction sites, uh, mental health supports, uh, supports for the people who are unhoused, um, people with mental health issues. Um, it's the societal issues so that we understand that people are human beings that deserve our support and help and not just money to shove into a private facility to make somebody else some money. Yeah. And I mean, we should fund rehab for people who are ready for it, but you can do that under the public umbrella, right? You can do that through AHS. You don't need to shovel money to people who run these private clinics that are, yeah, not for profit, but you can make a lot of money in the not-for-profit industry. Um and yeah, so we need both. We need well-funded public uh, recovery system. But for those who aren't ready for recovery, we can't leave them to die. We need to ensure that when they're using, they do it in the safest manner possibly. And that means having a safe supply and not like in BC where like there's all of these people who use drugs and the, the safe supply program is so limited. Um, but to expand on something like that and say our injectable uh, opioid treatment program that um, I believe what the government cut it and then the courts forced them to reinstate it in some capacity. Um, but we need that. And supervised consumption sites. I mean, they're closing uh, one in Edmonton now, closed the one in Lethbridge. Calgary has one supervised consumption site for the entire city. And then people complain that people are using drugs on transit. Well, if you only have one supervised consumption site and you need to buy your own drugs first to go there. I mean, you're going to use on transit if you're like, even if you're on your way there. Right. Are you guys, are you guys ready to hear my opinion? No, but I don't, go ahead. I don't, this is, it's not going to come across very good and I don't really care because I never really know how to say this without it coming across poorly, but I think it's important that we address the elephant in the room when it comes to drugs, drugs, are fantastic. And I don't think anybody, like, I don't think we address that enough when we talk about this. Yeah. I, drugs the are great. The world is a fucking tire fire and drugs are super fun. And 
no, no. Like, I'm not trying. No, you're like, right. You're right. I'm not and trying to. Like, I think we pro- all agree. I'm not here. trying to promote anything specifically here. I'm just saying that there is a reason why people turn to drugs to medicate through problematic things in their life, whether it be opioids or fucking cocaine or alcohol or whatever it is. But you don't get drunk because it's not fucking fun. Nobody gets drunk. Like, think about it. Being drunk is so fucking fun that everyone that does it is willing to feel like absolute smashed ass the next day to go to get that buzz. So to sit there and fucking pretend that that's any different than people that use drugs in any other capacity, it is the same thing. Yes, opioids is a different ball of wax in itself that that a lot of this is people that be, were prescribed painkillers and became addicted and, and that, that's a problem in and of itself. But if we if we don't address as a society that that like people require, they don't just want, they fucking require some sort of an escape or an outlet or a medication or a something. Like you can't name an adult that you know that doesn't do a drug. You fucking don't. I'm doing a drug right now. 100%. 100%. I wake up every morning to a cup of coffee, just like 90% of adults out there, and you're doing drugs. You're doing drugs to start your fucking day. You're not even starting your... How many people, oh, I can't even get out the door without a cup of coffee. Yeah, you're fucking saying, I can't even start my day without doing drugs. So to pretend like you're fucking better or different or these people are doing something bad, that's the worst part about it to me is that we act like drugs are bad. So that's the first thing I want to say. Drugs are fucking fantastic. And there's a reason why people do them. And if, you, if you've ever done any of them recreationally, there's a reason why cocaine is like the fucking rich man's goddamn like funnest because it's expensive, but it's fun. It's fun. And I've well, realized- it's fun until you crash. And that's sure, not fun. but like I realize I'm ruining the potential political career that I'm not aspiring to have here. But like I lived my fucking life, you guys. So like well, and I think I mean I think you make a good point. Okay, so a couple of things. I think, you know, I think you make a really good point about how hip- hypocritical we tend to be about drugs that some are good and some are bad some are acceptable some are not caffeine is a drug alcohol is a drug nicotine's a drug and those are all acceptable drugs um, in our society and so you're absolutely right people who need that that hit of coffee in the morning you should think about their lives a little bit differently if they're judging those who are addicted or hooked on other drugs that aren't considered legal. But the other side of that I do want to challenge a little bit is that, you know, I I agree with you, drugs are good. We need them in our society, partly because our, well, mostly because our society is built to hammer us down and we need ways to, to deal with that. Again, we need to get rid of capitalism to deal with that problem. Um, just needed my one socialist dig in here today. Um, but I also think that that to say drugs are fun, I think 
is problematic because for a lot of people, they become not fun. I don't mean it in the sense of like, I don't think you should be encouraging people to do drugs. It's stupid. People will do them or they won't, whatever. That's not my point. My point is that for people who get addicted to drugs in particular, it's not particularly fun. Like you say, getting drunk is fun and that's why we all do it. But a lot of people get drunk because they have to. They have no other way to get through a day. And so it's not fun in that sense. Like, I know what you're saying, but, but I also want to be that, careful. They didn't get to that place. Sure, it started as They didn't fun. get to that place because they started drinking alcohol and were like, well, this fucking sucks. This no, doesn't, no, no, of course. Numb, I, I, this I doesn't numb the, my pain at all. I think the point Scott's getting at is we need to normalize drug use Absolutely. because it is Correct. normalized for certain drugs, for drugs that rich people use. The other, uh, I 100% agree. The other point I'm trying to make with that. And yes, we definitely need to normalize drug use. So, and we, we need to not be afraid to admit when we've done them or have done them or tried them like, fuck man, I couldn't pass a lie detector test. If you fucking you coached me on it for a month, like I lived my life, man. I lived in my twenties and thirties in Canada. Like, I don't know. I think I had the same access to drugs that everyone else had. So like, I'm lucky that I didn't see certain drugs before my 20s because I was a very fucking impressionable kid. You could have had me doing anything. But nonetheless, the point I'm trying to make here is that if we were to normalize drugs and then decriminalize and legalize certain drugs, we could eliminate some of these drugs that are just straight to death for one. Like we could get, you know, meth like right off the street altogether. When people do turn to drugs, we could like, pharmaceutically supply safe drugs to those people it, it shouldn't be a scenario where no matter who you are like it isn't just like people that are in the alleys like that can't get throughout a day without like eight pounds of meth or whatever that are dying of overdoses like there was a couple in Drumheller a few months ago that died just picking up something for a recreational evening like a couple at home well, I can relate to that. Like, I consider any drug use that I've done in my life to be responsible drug use because I don't put myself in a situation where I can get myself into trouble. I, I have done it in scenarios where it's sort of in my own home with friends or whatever. And this was just a couple that was just trying to have a little fun together. And they died. That's not fucking right. And for us to, the, the only way around that is for us to get rid of illicit drugs altogether. And you don't get rid of illicit drugs by having them be illicit. You, you get rid of the criminalization aspect of it and, and you get rid of the, the scenario where poor people are doing really cheap, dangerous drugs and getting them and disproportionately dying because they are getting these you 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 just like anything else like alcohol is supposedly made in a safe fashion yes we have to address the fact that there is going to still be addiction we have addiction with things that were that are legal right now we totally do we have nicotine addiction and we have caffeine addiction and we have alcohol addiction this is not something we aren't aware of but we manage that addiction. And I, but the, the point is, 
is that we cannot just keep throwing people in jail for doing something that we're just sort of naturally there going to do like this is what we live we can either change society in every aspect like and to to what we have always talked about this on this on this show or we can manage the scenarios that we have and we can realize that in a world that is this hard on people, even in first world countries to, to get through and get by, those people are going to turn to things that make them feel good. And if we provide, if we come, if we, if we normalize it and provide safe ways for, for people to do it, I think that really, I think that eliminates a lot of the need for some of the harm reduction we're talking about in the first place. But anyway, I digress. I think with, with drug use, it's, it's just something that we have to stop assuming that people are, there's something wrong with them that they're making these choices. Like it's, it's not what it is. It's not what it is. You're a product of your environment. You, you know, some of us do middle-class drugs. Some of us do rich drugs. Some of us do poor drugs, but we're all doing them. So some of us do all. Well, I mean, you know, I hope my parents don't listen to this episode, but I don't, I think think they fucking know anyway. But the point is like, I'm the point we're making is that everyone does drugs in some capacity. Right. Yes. Including your parents. Right. Of course. Of course they do. Of course they do. And this is the thing is like, it's just one of those things where you have to like, get that out of your head. Like we, we, we already did it with marijuana. Nobody even, it took, what three two and a half years and nobody even fucking talks about it because what happened nothing right all that fear of like what's going to happen if we legalize marijuana what happened nothing literally nothing right Just- i like all the all the all the conservatives who are like it's like legalizing opioids they're giving kids marijuana right. and it's like well first of all we should legalize opioids right well um, they are they're pharmaceuticals right like yeah. they're the most legal you can get they went through our health canada regulations they've been fully vetted um that's the problem is even the ones to- that we try and control we I really it's don't about even money know. because it's about money. Opioids became about money. And yeah. this is, again, the thing like I think you're so right about our society and we need to medicate and we live in a society where we have to because we live in a shitty world and we need to fix that part of it. Um, but the reality is like all of these drugs were once illegal. All of them have societal uh, relationships to them um, and that affects what's going on. So, you know, weed was illegal for a very long time for a lot of very classist and racist reasons primarily and like you said it's legal now and the world didn't end i mean a bunch of white people got rich a bunch of white people got rich and a bunch of other people yeah former cops and a bunch of people who should have uh criminal records expunged have not yet but aside from that like the world hasn't collapsed nobody's died as far as i know but it didn't even take long for the stigma to go away right like it it took less than two years for people to stop giving a fuck altogether. And I'm saying like, it, it wouldn't take that long if we decriminalized all drugs. Like we, we, another problem with drugs, illicit drugs is that like people don't, they don't think of that as like a business. That's a fucking business for somebody. 
So they live off, they, they, they work off the same sort of supply and demand uh, process that everyone else does. If, if you nip their supply, they're going to replace it. So like, and it's going to get replaced cheaper. So like when you have these gigantic, oh, well, we just had the biggest meth bust in city history. Well, guess what? You're about to replace that with more dangerous meth. That's what's going to happen. You're not going to get meth off the street. You've done nothing. You've actually made it worse. By busting that trunk full of fucking meth, they now have to replace it real fast. And that's how you start getting fucking fentanyl cut, cut into everything. Well, and I think meth or whether it be opioids or whether it be anything else. You start well, but, but also we, we, we're prescribing tons of meth to teenagers in the form of um, ADD medications. I mean, that, that is a methamphetamine. Can I get some, what? You just got to tell them you have a ADHD? Well, can well, we prescribe you this shit? I didn't know about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I? It's it's new, but man, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyways, yeah. we're gonna move on. We, we the show's almost over. We got one last question we're gonna ask. Um, I I can't remember. Mo just put these questions up in the chat, so I can't remember which of our Twitter followers asked this. Most slacking these days. I really man. apologize. Maybe he'll tell me. But you should fire him. We don't even talk about him on the show anymore. Like that's the worst part is like, he just took his mic away and was like, stop talking to me to start the show. And so now we don't even mention him. And he barely then, even edits the then episodes. He then he wonders why like people just leave him out of like when they showed out our show. He's like, did he never heard of Mo Cranker? I'm like, no, because you won't let us talk about you anymore. Anyway, um, I'm just stalling while I try to find out who fucking asked this question. I think it was Kim too. I think they all came from Kim. No, no, there was oh. there was one other person. And Bibby. Oh. And Bibby. She asked, "Does Kenny hang on till the next election?" <laughs> Which we've kind of yeah, we've talked about before. this. Absolutely, there's no fucking way. Um, like all these chuds are mad about these like half lockdowns. You think it's gone a bridge too? They've gone a bridge too far, but. Um, yeah, of course he holds on. Of course, he's he's leading the UCP into the next election. I mean, Kenny is nothing if not stubborn. And he's going to hold... I mean, yeah, there's going to be a leadership review maybe, but I say he gets at least 75% support from the party. Like, bare minimum. If he gets any less, I will um, eat this T-shirt I'm wearing. Um Oh fuck, we're holding you to that because like my my automatic on this is waning a little bit. Roberto, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I think a, a month ago or whenever the last time we answered this question, I think my answer was an, an automatic, of course he hangs on. He's right. not gonna none of this is gonna matter. But I I don't know. I mean, I think that the the powers on the fringes are gaining steam and i think kenny is stuck in a really difficult position that he is probably despising with every ounce of his being this is not what he planned he planned to come in and unite the right and gain power and transform alberta into this wonderful neoliberal project and then jump to the federal level and take over canada and do the same thing there and instead he got elected into an oil crisis and a pandemic and i'm sure he's not having a lot of fun at this point and so i i'm not 
at this point, I'm not as convinced he's going to hold on. But the thing I, I would caution against is that that's not necessarily a good thing for anybody who's progressive or on the left, that, um, you know, who's in line to replace Kenny is the further right of the party. This the you know, the challenges to Kenny are not coming from the center or the progressive side whatever that is, they don't have such a thing, um, but it's coming from the fringe right. And so if Kenny's replaced, he's going to be replaced by somebody a hell of a lot scarier with a lot less interest in balancing any type of um, closures with anything that's happening is my opinion. So I'm not sure it's something that the left or progressives should push for necessarily either. I'm almost certain that he is going to hold on and go run in the next election whether he defeats the ndp is something that i've sort of shifted on where it looks like notley could win in 2023 mind you it's a it's a ways away but that is something I've moved on, but whether it will be Kenny or like Drew Barnes or Jason Nixon uh, running, I, I I don't see it. I think Kenny's their guy because he, even though the far right is mad at him, um, he is the one person who can, if anyone, unite the the you know the old progressive conservatives who've all rebranded as like ucp diehards and the chuds yeah i i don't know i don't know what to make of this anymore like i'm starting to actually just like really have no fucking clue like i think if there was an election today i think the ndp would get a majority and i don't think it's even a fucking question at this point like that's how bad this is going for kenny like I hate, I fucking hate when people throw around like catastrophic language or like uh, matter of fact terms, like they're destroying the province or it's the worst, like everyone's always the worst that's ever been, whoever it is at that, like Trudeau's the worst prime minister we've ever had and Notley's the worst premier we've ever had. Like fucking objectively speaking though, how is... Jason Kenny, not the fucking worst leader you have ever witnessed in anything. Like Doug Ford is shitty, but there is no way that he is as bad as Jason Kenny. Like Doug Ford is just more every man's. Like he's a little bit more like layman's and like. I think he's just a little bit dumber too. He like, so he doesn't dumber, have right? the strategy. I don't think Correct. he has the same kind of evil strategy abilities that Jason Kenny does. Cause Jason Kenny not only won't lead, but he's also evil and actually is trying to transform society. I think Doug Ford is just kind of a bumbling idiot who fell into this leadership role accidentally and now is trying to make the best of it, which is the worst of it. Jason Kenny is doing this intentionally. This is actually part of his plan, like not to kill thousands of people. I don't think he would have done that intentionally directly, although it would have happened through his policies no matter what. But I think he has more of a, an evil strategist than than Doug Ford. And so it won't he won't ever shift, whereas Doug Ford can be pulled and pushed, as I think is coming through. Not well, but it's happening a bit. It, it was interesting that when we interviewed Nenshi last month, 
and we kind of assumed that he would say the UCP was the worst government to work with. And he was like, actually, no, they weren't. But he didn't tell us who the worst was, which I thought was interesting. But it must have been like Redford or Prentice. Because oh, he, he liked Stelma. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right, guys, we got to wrap up here today because we, uh, well, we're recording again in 27 minutes. So we have to go and uh, take a break. I got to clean myself up. I look like absolute shit. Still, still recovering from my vaccine, I guess something like that i don't know i try not to like i don't know if like do you tell people that you got sick for a bit or do you try to keep it to yourself i guess i told all of twitter so it is what it is but i don't want people to get scared because of it like it's fucking nothing it's like a few hours of having a fever anyway um it was a bit of all over the map episode but that's i mean it's a fucking all over the map time so i don't feel bad for it like we're just trying to make sense of like the craziest time in all of our lives. And I, and I, I don't see this just sort of ending anytime soon. So um, if you're feeling a little bit like a ping pong ball in the, the yeah, you're not alone. So um, that's where we're at, but uh, Roberta Lexier, my bestie, thank you so much for being here today. I miss you. Nice to see your face. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's good to see your face here too. Even if it's just on stupid computer but thanks yeah. for having me it was fun always this good to how, chat this is how everybody communicates now right so it is what it is jerome it is. always good to see you buddy i'm going to see you again in a few minutes but uh our listeners don't really the timeline doesn't work really on that so but thanks for being here stay safe out there it's fucking crazy where you live so be good you're not vaccinated so i'm not um you're a ways away still i think so yeah, but I, I've just been staying home and going outside. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's yeah. really all you can do. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, it's the time in the show where we do say thank you to those of our patrons who go way above and beyond anything we could ever hope for. And uh, last week, it was great. After last week, we kind of, we were like, is this her name or is this it? She let us know on Twitter. We follow her now. So we're really happy to know that Nicola D. Nicola is a real person. And we are so happy to have you aboard. Thank you for being part of our show. To Nancy Niles, to Chris Sturwold, to Big Red Machine, and to Dave Bonmiller. You guys keep us going. To our anonymous donors, we love you very much as well. We, we never get to say who you are, but we know you're out there. I've got a mug on, on the way to one of you, in fact, at the very moment. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Mo, thanks for being here. We'll see you guys next week. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.